Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. on the South Asian side of things, there's just like a shit ton of like internalized colonialism as well that comes through. And, you know, it's almost like the, the British side sets all the parameters and then the South Asian, like the ideals in our community, they actually just support and actually uphold, help uphold um, those. So that's why, that's why I really do feel like it's kind of like a double whammy, it's not great. Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand our relationship with our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, and I'm a writer. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Three, two, one. Hey, body protesters. We're getting there. We're getting there. there. By next week, it's going to be flawless, and I just know it. I just know it. Look, and Daisy, the producer, has just said lush, so I think we're good. That's all the validation (laughs) I needed today. Thank you very much, Daisy. Oh my goodness. Honey, how are you doing? I am doing okay. I am still on a writing deadline. It's hopefully nearly over. I have gone slightly um, stir crazy, but I'm I'm getting through. I'm. You know what? I took your advice and had a, right before this actually, had a bath and washed my hair, I, which oh, was not part glorious. of the advice, but I love washing my hair as well. Like That's my favourite self-care. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that at the moment. Uh, so, you know what? Oh, I'm yeah. pretty happy. If, if in doubt with washing your hair, you should always go for it. It always always makes you feel better, doesn't it? It's never made you feel worse. Like, it's, <laughs> it's a good thing to do. Yeah, truly. How are you, baby? I'm very well thank you I I feel like weekends are starting to feel like actual weekends again and then this weekend just gone was the body riot weekender and I caught a couple of the talks and they were phenomenal it was so so good Ooh, so tell me about some of the talks you saw okay I was only able to catch a couple so the first one was with Vanessa Lewis and it's called unpacking Eurocentric beauty ideals and uglification and just mm. beyond it was I really highly recommend it though so, the event was free to attend if you went in the weekend but you can go back and I think it's like 15 pounds or something to go back and watch all the talks and then there was uh, the Fat Doctor UK I don't know if you follow her on Instagram yes I love Lamy and just again I kind of feel like all of these people I'd love to have them on the podcast but just was so everything was on point so the talk was on the harms of weight stigma in health professions and then the final talk I went to was the last one with Caleb Luna and it was exploring why social justice movements must include fat liberation and again just sublime sublime that sounds incredible sublime (laughs) and we've got some great guests that we're going to now be chasing furiously for the next couple of months (laughs) to try and get lined up Um, anyway let's talk about who we have on this week's episode So today's guest, I actually met her on a panel. So I did a panel with South Asian Sisters Speak. So it was an event put on by South Asians. Everyone on the panel was South Asian and I enjoyed it so much. And this girl, I was like 
I absolutely, we absolutely need to have her on the podcast. And as soon as we finished the panel, it was online. I then DM'd her and I was like, hi, one, can we be friends? Two, can you come on my podcast, please? And she was like, yes to both. So we have Henna or Henna Speaks on Instagram. We spoke about body image growing up, racism, the male gaze, brown women being excluded or erased from the body hair movement. We spoke about decolonization, spiritualism, and Henna also shared some beautiful affirmations and her journey into self-love. It was such a gorgeous interview and truly I felt the exact same way of I just want Henna to be my friend. After that chat, I really hope she will hang out with us. So anyway, here's Henna. Henna, thank you so much for joining us on The Body Protest. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I wonder if you could give us a little introduction to yourself for our listeners. Um, Yeah, I'm an activist, writer uh, and creative. That's just sort of the umbrella I like to give myself. I sort of do a lot of, I do a lot of everything. Um, And I run a platform called um, Henna Speaks on Instagram, um, which is sort of my main kind of place, my main kind of home on the internet, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also have a blog, which is also called Henna Speaks. And um, I basically just talk about lots of different things again I don't really I feel like I don't really have a niche when people ask me like what I do um my niche is just not really having a niche so I talk about loads of stuff um mostly centered on my experiences as uh, a brown woman as a South Asian woman in the UK and also as a curvy hairy brown female person as well (laughs) so um that's pretty much what I do and I cover a lot of different topics so lots of things to do with a lot of my stuff is about race um I've sort of Mm -hmm. I would say accidentally fallen into the body positivity stuff um just just through just sort of posting pictures of myself oh it happens Um, I think (laughs) yeah it just (laughs) just so many people and then I was like oh okay I guess I'm doing this now but yeah I do a lot of stuff with that um just a lot of stuff around my just identity in general so um I like to also use my platform It's, it's small but growing I, I I would hope and I just want to use it to my primary focus is just inspiring brown women and women of color um and then also I like to raise a lot of awareness about different social issues which is um something I feel like a lot of people are doing now which is great um and yeah so that's that's pretty much what I kind of do in a very very big umbrella what a lovely introduction thank you for all of that and I think it really leads us perfectly into talking about how you related to your body growing up how how would you say your body image was yeah um I mean as a as a very chubby child I think it was it was something that I knew it, it was it was a problem I think like from a young age like I feel like all people who like all like fat kids know that that their body image is a problem and their bodies are a problem I think we're we're obviously told that from every angle possible like you know media government families friends like everything and obviously social media is even worse I mean I have to admit I was I'm 24 so I was very lucky to only have social media from like my teenage years really like before that I didn't actually um have anything like I, do, I wasn't even allowed Facebook until I was 13 <laughs> my mum wouldn't let me get it um but even like Instagram I came on quite late so I feel like I don't have I didn't grow up with that social media age like a lot of my younger peers obviously have um so I think in I mean I feel grateful that I didn't have to have the social media stuff because I think it would have made I think it would have heightened a lot of my own issues that I had with myself growing up um but to be honest on the whole yeah it, it was still from every angle so I think I was very 
painfully aware that that I was firstly like much bigger than both my sisters and then you know being South Asian as well you do get like you know I don't think there's one chubby South Asian kid who's not had a comment from a family member of some kind um so I I would get that you know I would even with my mum like she never never made me feel bad for being chubby like or fat like she never made me feel bad for it but I feel like it was more of a health thing. So she she would kind of be like, you know, let's let's eat healthy and stuff. I think I just had a slow metabolism, to be honest. And um, so yeah, I, I think my body image wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't as if like I was I didn't become like obsessed with my body image or anything. I was just very aware that it was a bad thing. Um, I think and I got a lot of like a lot of the messaging I got was like, you'll grow out of it. Like, don't worry about it too much now. Which was good looking back. Cause I think it it allowed me to not. I didn't get, I didn't become encouraged to look at myself too much. I think that I still was very aware of it, like I said, and obviously like school and stuff, being around peers who obviously are <laughs> very mean. Kids, I always say this, kids are so mean. And I look back at some of the stuff that used to get said to me and it wasn't even about my weight as well. It was about, I, I was very hairy and obviously being South Asian and, you know, that the hairiness was definitely a part of the racism that I experienced at school. And that again, obviously left me feeling very conscious about my like arms and stuff. Like, I would wear like jumpers in the summer and stuff just so I didn't have to get my arms out. Um, so generally, yeah, I do think I, I kind of went back and forth between sort of just trying to ignore my body. Cause I got like, you know, my parents said to me, don't worry about it. It's not an issue for you. Like just, you'll grow out of it. Like it's not a problem. But then I think with all the other external messaging, I still did obviously feel bad about myself and the way I looked. So yeah, I think it's been very up and down. Yeah, out of curiosity, whereabouts did you grow up and, and who was around you? What was your community like? Were you were there a lot of South Asians where you grew up or was it very white or was it a real mix? Yeah, so I grew up in this small town called Dunstable, which is near Luton, the, the airport, I say to people. Um, and it was very white. So my school was, I was one of a handful of children of colour. It was, yeah, it, it and it's also not a very welcoming community either. So I think I've always felt, we've always felt, like odd ones out we've had um we had a lot of I especially me I had a, I don't know whether it was I just got bad luck but my my my, my year at school were just particularly like racist and horrible so um so yeah it, it was it was a very it was a very weird experience but I, I think you make a good point because people I speak to who grew up in obviously like majority like if they grew up either in multicultural places like London or cities um or even in like certain particular areas where there's a lot of one particular group they have very different experiences. I'm curious to hear about, you know, you talk about this journey that you went on of kind of being bombarded essentially with other people's relationship to your body. That's more what it's about. It's like you you felt how you felt and then other people put their stuff on you. But what was the turning point? Because, you know, you you clearly have an amazing relationship with yourself now and your Instagram just makes my heart sing. It's so beautiful. And, you know, I think people would love to know how that what was that moment for you or I'm sure there were many but if you could do mind sharing yeah yeah I I was gonna say that that there were many I think it's been very up and down um but yeah it's really nice to say that because I feel like there are some days where I'm like yeah like I look great and I feel fucking great about myself but obviously there I just also have days where I'm like "Mm, I'm just gonna avoid the mirror today um but yeah I think for me I hate to say it but you know I do think when I went to uni and I was, I do think a lot, a lot of the way you feel about yourself and your body and your looks, unfortunately, is also a bit, a part of it that comes into it is how like, you know, the opposite sex perceive you. So I think 
you know, for me, like I'm, I'm straight, so having sort of seeking that, like not even consciously, but subconsciously seeking that sort of male approval. And I hate to admit that it's, it was a part of it, but when I went to uni and I was around a lot more people of colour, like obviously like in my area, that it was just sort of a given that the white boys just didn't really like Asian girls. So I think when I went to uni and I got a lot more attention, I think that's when I sort of, I think it was, in, it encouraged me to think, you know, because I think I was at a place where I didn't, I didn't have a bad relationship with my body when I went to uni. But I think I a lot a lot of it is actually about I didn't really have a relationship with my body. I think I went I went through obviously as a child I went kind of up and down with it, and then I think I kind of hit puberty. My body changed a lot, and then I would say that the fat didn't go; it just moved around, <laughs> and um, and I I think I sort of got to a point where I just tried to ignore it to be honest and then I think when I became more aware of it again I think it was when I was getting this male attention and I kind of thought oh okay like you know you know and it sort of did encourage me to feel a bit better about myself um I know I really hear that and resonate with that because I and I also think it kind of in our first episode we speak to Virgie Tova um of this series first episode of the series and she spoke about her experience of being with a body positive partner and having someone kind of it's awful to be like, you know, a person of the opposite sex validating your experience. But it is, I think, in the kind of terms of you going to uni and seeing how, like, desired you were, I think there's an element of like, oh, okay, my body is perfectly fine. I will be lovable. Some, You know, it, it, it kind of lowers the value of it. Because I think if you grow up feeling undesirable and suddenly you go and you're like, well, there's not a scarcity issue anymore. Clearly, I'm very desirable. It's fine. It takes that off your mind. Yeah, I do think it is a cultural thing. I think as well, within the South Asian community, we are women are told to not be sexual beings like we're not supposed to feel sexy and good about ourselves like that's not why we're essentially existing it's you know it's 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 for xyz but I think that was part of the awakening for me I think it was getting to a point where I was like where you do you're right I felt desired and then that made me feel sexy it made me feel good about myself and I thought I thought oh okay like I don't I, I think I had before that point I don't think I'd really gotten to a point where I celebrated my body because I've always been curvy I've always had big boobs and you know wide hips and a belly and stuff so like I think I I had elements of like what we're told is like a desirable woman like a sexy woman like you know I, I, I had I had the big boobs but then I had a belly so it was like well that well then you don't fit into that um so I think that was a lot of the reason why I just didn't feel like I was allowed to even be sexy and then I think so the I think the the sort of ideals of what an actual sexy curvy woman is combined with the sort of cultural thing of me never you know because every a lot of things are taboo like you know the, the the fact that I had to always cover up like whereas my my skinny sisters didn't have to but I had to cover up like I had to my, my mum would like you know kind of police my my neckline and stuff and obviously she's doing it she she was doing it to you know not have people like stare at me <laughs> so it came from a good place but even that I think even just having to do things like that I think it made me it, it did sort of instill like a bit of shame around my body and how it naturally was um and obviously the rules are different aren't they? the rules are different when you're when you're curvy as opposed to when you're slim so um so yeah I do think it was that but I do think um in terms of like a turning point I guess it was like I said annoyingly kind of started off by male attention I guess um that was the trigger to actually sort of look at myself and then I thought you know actually yeah and then I just sort of focusing I started focusing a bit more energy on cultivating the sort of positivity around looking at myself in the mirror and like you know and, and again that that also came after years of 
dressing for my figure and like dressing flatteringly and like avoiding anything tight and you know certain like you know I, I feel like all like, I feel like when peplum tops came into style all the fat girls were like yeah. yes <laughs> something just came over my, my belly so like all that sort of thing and I feel like it um even the way I dressed started changing a bit I kind of I, I sort of would gravitate more towards form-fitting stuff and I think even the act of just sort of looking at your body more um it does do wonders for it because like I said I went I had years of just not even looking at myself really because I have memories of, as a kid like the mirror was just such a bad place like I, I would look in the mirror and I'd feel so shit and I would like look at my belly and I'd be like oh my god I look like a pig like you know I I, I would think all the all this internalized fat phobia that I had that that had been like you said like just bombarded at me it all came out like that and I think then yeah sort of starting to look at myself a bit more and I think as well like I never really used to buy into this but you know when they say that like women's bodies like obviously you have puberty but then the early 20s like you sort of like settle into your body like I never believed it but I look back and I think I actually did like that did happen to me so I think I almost had like this second change especially when I think you know the the weight moved a bit more to like I had a lot more weight on my hips and my bum and stuff and I think that then it did make me feel better I think about myself because I think I, I I guess I started seeing seeing how when I was embracing that sort of more sort of sexy like more the more sexual side of my body I thought you know what actually I do look really nice and then it was a matter of I think just starting to post because I never even used to take pictures of myself I used to hate I used to avoid pictures you know I thought let me actually sort of document and capture this I think I saw stuff on social media I think it really did inspire me so other other people who were being body positive and who were loving themselves like the way I'd like to say it, it's like they're loving themselves loudly that indefinitely inspired me so you know and that for me as well was a lot of black women really really inspired me because they were the ones who were more visible um on social media and the people that I followed so I think sort of all those things combined was the was the point for me and I just caught, thought thought you know what I want to do this for someone else and I, I I'd like to, to to be that sort of positive presence because there are there are a lot of positive hubs on social media but they are few and far between sometimes yeah and there can't be enough like there really yeah. can't be enough like the more beacons of light the better like I think why not yeah and it's really interesting to me that you're saying that you were looking to a lot of black women and I'm really curious we talk a lot about representation on the podcast did you or do you have any South Asian role models or what would you say can you talk about that a little yeah, bit yeah I think in terms of yeah like body positivity it really mm. was just like Nabella, who's a beauty blogger. She's a Bangladeshi American um, beauty blogger and she's plus sized. And apart from her, mm. I don't think I really ever properly saw anybody who looked like me. But I think people like her, like I, I always credit her as mm. a big, a big, like really amazing South Asian presence on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're like, you're right, Nadia, like we there is there is I mean there's not really much is there when we think about representation um especially body types it's you know the ones the the thing is South Asians in particular like we're just very invisible um and I think you see a lot of different representation for a lot of other like minority groups but South Asians in particular we just I don't know why but we just seem to be a bit behind and there's just not so many of us um and then obviously the ones who do end up making it at first they're light-skinned and slim and able-bodied and they present like the right way um for the mass media to sort of you know the mass of audience to relate to them so I think that I mean it's a problem in itself but I do think it's also inevitable in like a you know in a system of white supremacy it's obviously that's obviously going to 
be the first ones who are, who are accepted before the rest sort of come up. But there are a lot of people now, I have to admit, like, and it, again, it's like finding them, but it's really fucking hard to find them. Because it's not like, it's not as if like the, the bigger platforms platform anybody, <laughs> um, anybody like more diverse than, than someone who's, you know, like got a bit of a tan to them or like, you know, or, or who are curvy, but all, only in the right places and have like a flat stomach otherwise. So yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Would you be able to tell me a bit more about the specific appearance pressures that South Asian women face? Yeah, I think... I mean, I think it's everything that women in general face, and then some. <laughs> so um, that's yeah. how I would sort of describe it um, in a nutshell. But I think, you know, hair particularly is a, is a big one for South Asian women and Middle Eastern women. Um, and again, this is it's a big, big discourse has been on social media. And, you know, a lot of people have like jumped and been like, well, white women are hairy too. And it's like, we understand that. But the point is the punishment for being for not fitting into society's beauty boxes is a lot lot worse if you're a woman of color and i think that's what people can't get their head around because we're not you know people aren't saying that white women aren't allowed to be hairy and feel bad about it or you know aren't allowed to have a different type of body type and 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 not be like upset about it i I wrote a piece actually um about this about just the body hair movement and how brown women are being erased from it when in reality we are the ones who suffer the most from it because not only is it like from the patriarchy saying no one's going to want you if you're hairy it's also we're also going to use your hair though as part of the racial stereotype that we use to oppress you almost even as a bigger insult than to see white women come along and be accepted with unibrows and armpit hair and it's seen as a kind of positive rebellion it's like no that's yeah fuck that. exactly you're right so it, it's it's when when you're a white woman and you're hairy you you know you might still get told that you're undesirable but you've got a way bigger chance of being like labeled as like a revolutionary and like a radical feminist as a woman but when a woman of color does it it will be the arguments that will come up will be oh it's dirty it's unhygienic it's this it's that because that is in essence why body hair is used like as part of our um oppression as brown people because it's it's the it's the it's the stereotype that oh, all brown girls are hairy and all like you know I've been called Chewbacca before and stuff like you know I don't you know you you don't you know it, it it's not yeah it's just not the same it's just not like, again the rules are different the rules are different when you're white and the and you know or the rules are different when you have any form of privilege so um definitely the body hair thing is is a bad one for South Asian women I think as well we're also made to feel really bad about it even though so many of us are hairy um and you know it, it it's like a it's like a big big thing like you know, the, the hair removal industry and stuff but it's just more as well like and we don't even just get it from outside the community it's within the community like you know the the way that brown men will gun for hairy brown women is like insane like it's it, it's wild how you know how how we do really get it from all sides of that um and i think yeah definitely it, it's also used to you know it's used to strip us of our femininity and it's used to be like oh you're you're manly then like you're, you're like a boy and it's like used to and then obviously because femininity is so like intricately linked to desirability it's then like well if you're hairy then you're not anything but it's like then we have to so in in order to to even be considered desirable we have to spend how much money and how much time and effort and pain <laughs> taking off all this hair um so yeah the body hair thing definitely for me and then obviously you've got skin you've got skin tone as well um and colorism is obviously like a huge huge issue 
Yeah, such a huge issue. I think it can be a topic in its own right. Colorism or skin shade prejudice where people of color with lighter skin shades are afforded greater privileges and people with darker skin shades are discriminated against. It affects people in so many different aspects of their lives. And I think it's interesting to think about colorism in the context of the UK where you've got this white beauty standard where people want to be tanned, where in contrast, South Asian culture imbued by colorism, it's an interesting paradox. And I think sometimes there's this feeling of straddling two cultures, navigating between two different ideals, potentially. I wonder if that's something you ever felt or, or noticed. Definitely, definitely. I think in the, con- in the context of body image, you actually kind of get double bad stuff because it's like the 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 british side of things there's obviously loads of loads of unattainable beauty standards and you know Mm. obviously completely defined by like sort of white male dominance and then on the south asian side of things there's just like a shit ton of like internalized colonialism as well that comes through and you know which Mm. sort of ends up it's almost like the, the British side sets all the parameters and then the South Asian, like the ideals in our community, they actually just support and actually uphold, help uphold um, those. So that's why, mm. that's why I really do feel like it's kind of like a double whammy. It's not great. So we did a panel together and the minute I heard you, I was like, message telling us that we have to get you on one of the things that really stood out that you were talking about on that panel was about decolonization and i would love for you to talk about that here with us so what do you mean by decolonization how does that apply in terms of beauty standards and and beauty standards for south asian women oh yeah i do like talking about this not gonna lie Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah so decolonization Obviously, on like a broader plane, people talk about it with like, you know, decolonizing education and decolonizing um, like the way that we think and stuff. But I think in the context of body image and, and, and again, with any form of decolonization, it's just about addressing the like the impact of colonization on all the different things that that on all different parts of society. But in particular, with body image, obviously, yeah, we're talking about how especially for South Asians, I'll talk about it as well in, in, in that particular context. Um, it's how the, you know, 300 year oppression of our people, how it then affected the way that we saw ourselves, because obviously body image obviously is about obviously our bodies, but I think it's also very much informed through like sort of self-esteem and like self-worth. And I think such a huge part of colonization was to completely dismantle any sense of self and any sense of self-confidence to you know, convince us what the colonizers were trying to say of like, you lot are subhuman, you don't know what you're doing, you're barbaric, you're ugly, you're dark, you're this, you're that. So I think it's addressing those issues and then ideally working through them and healing from them um, is, is I guess, the, the aim of it. But I think, yeah, for South Asians in particular, like a lot of the, a lot of the aims of, uh, well, not aims, but like a, a lot of the racial I guess it's not stereotypes, but a lot of the racial characteristics that were given to us were that the Indian people were very feminine, so they were weak. And then obviously then for the male South Asian population, you get like, you know, they've been very emasculated. Um, and it's like a, you know, that's, and that's again part of the stereotype that then 
is known about them in the world like you know they're it nerds they're you know that they're not there again even men are not seen as sexual beings but for women obviously we get it in double time um because we're women <laughs> and and yeah I, I i think for for us with body image i guess it's sort of addressing and acknowledging the fact that we have there is a lot of internal self-hate and we've been very encouraged to see ourselves as you know not as good as and even beauty standards are colonial so you know it, it's it's the same thing the british or just white white colonizers in general which is a lot of different loads of different countries um they essentially went wherever they wanted to go they went and they said we are top dog and you guys are below us and again that translates exactly with when you think about it in terms of body image you know because and again body image is very linked to just sort of desirability and how much how much currency like how much currency your body has in the world and as south asians we don't have a lot and i think part of that decolonizing work yeah is it, it it's about coming back to and seeing the beauty in ourselves and i say this this is something that i say to everyone when we talk about when we talk about empire and colonization i do think that a lot of the reason for colonization it was fear and it was and it was jealousy like they knew we were popping and and they wanted they wanted us to they they want that it was like this huge exercise of gaslighting and telling us that we're not when when really we were because like they only wanted to destroy us because they felt threatened by us and that's I think for me something I it's something really powerful that I always come back to and talk about with my with my brown friends in particular and I say like you know they only did that because clearly clearly they were scared of something so you know even then though I don't I also don't like to keep it completely centered on whiteness and white people but you know I think it's you know sort of unlearning that gaslighting and actually being like you know what no like obviously we know we are all beautiful all people are beautiful in their own ways and I think it's again finding our way of being it because part of the reason we feel so shit about ourselves is because we're trying to be beautiful in as according to white people and, and according to whiteness so if we try and step away from that and I guess that's also what the decolonizing is about stepping away from wanting to be like some people that we can never look like you, like no matter how hard we try you can't bleach your skin like you know ch- how much how much plastic surgery would you need to look like a white person like you know it, it's about find like redefining what beauty is first and I think that's a that's a huge part of decolonizing for body image um and just accepting you know because even fatphobia is rooted in racism it's it's completely anti-black it's inherently anti-black so again we're looking at all these little things that we, you know, all all, all these all these little things that make up the way we feel about ourselves. They all can be linked back to one of those, you know, one of the three systems of white supremacy, patriarchy, or capitalism. But then all of those things together, it creates obviously what what we live in now. So I think it is about trying to step away and redefine it, and and also even in redefining is just making in our heads making beauty what we see in the mirror and that's for all people not even just brown people like you know anyone of any color no and I think there is something very healing about kind of going back and looking at inherited trauma and generational trauma and going back and being like in order for us to heal and everyone to heal especially if you've come from a marginalized community it is about kind of almost making up for the harm that was done to everyone's ancestors you know and I think that it's so important to reconnect to that yeah, and, and just understanding it, because I think otherwise, how do you comprehend why someone who's this shade is seen as more beautiful than someone who's that shade? How do you understand that? How do you begin to understand that? So I think that can be a really good starting point to to see that it's come from a very problematic yeah. place. 
And it continues to be very problematic. 100%, yeah. And I think it's like the mean you both touched on, Nadia, in the, in the SAS talk. When you actually interrogate the systems, like, ask, why do I feel bad about myself? Like, what is it? Tracing it back, answering those questions, because the answers are all there. It's just a matter of putting the energy into it to actually answer them. And I feel like once you, and you know, and, and you do get answers. And like we said, it comes down to one of those three things. So once you know whether it's A, B or C, you then think, okay, well, I, I get it now and I understand it. And that's where you can then separate yourself from it. And you can be like, well, who I am is not defined by whether this particular system finds me attractive or deems me worthy. Because we know, like you said, it's been set by arseholes a long time ago. Yeah, your body isn't the problem, right? Your body right now is not the problem here. It's all of these other things that are, well, as you say, those those big structural powers that are designed to make people feel small and less than in some way. Oh, and one thing I wanted to add, actually, on the whole decolonization thing, I think I think people underestimate the power of like appearances and stuff so I, I like um I, that doesn't really make sense but I'll go into it it'll make more sense um I think that people especially like with body positivity and stuff people like to sort of be like oh you're just taking pictures of yourself and posting them on the internet like it's not it's people like to say oh it doesn't chalk up to much but when you when you really think about it just us like existing is enough resistance because and then not even to just exist but then to like I said love yourselves loudly you are literally every breath you take is a big fuck you to those three systems and I think that's such a beautiful thing um so I do think yeah again um with the decolonization stuff it's the the work that we do you know you don't you don't have to necessarily be a huge voice on social media talking about lots of different issues you just loving yourself is an act of resistance and it's an it's an act of activism as well. And I just, that's what I really like. And I think that's also what I would like more people to remind themselves of and think of, like, because you don't have to be the next, you know, huge activism person who's, you know, writes a book and all this shit. Like, you haven't got to do that. You could just literally just live your life and you are doing the work. And I think what's really striking for me about you is that there is a stereotype around South Asians being quite quiet like you know polite people pleasers in terms of like not being that kind of brazen I'm going to put myself out you know I definitely grew up in uh, an environment where it was like I would speak if I was spoken to like that's when I would speak so I find that hard in other contexts sometimes to to put myself and be loud in those settings so I think actually to see a South Asian woman being kind of loud owning herself and you know kind of being like yeah I'm paying da 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 it's like I think it's we don't see that as as much and I think that goes back to all the conversation about body positivity but I think there is that leap because of of those other stereotypes about being very um kind of meek and 100% 100% and, and and it scares the shit out of people like the, the amount of people who don't like who didn't like me or don't like me now because I'm doing that they, they, they think they've got like uh, not saying this is every single case but a lot of the time you think you've got an issue with me but you don't you only have you have an issue with the fact that I disrupt your version of what I'm supposed to be like and you know I, I was lucky enough to be raised in like my especially my household we were very with three girls and you know we were raised to very much have our own opinions and speak whenever we wanted and stuff. And we were very much encouraged to do that, which I will endlessly love my parents for. Um, 
And I think that did help me. It gave me the, you know, I think I grew up thinking I can do anything. And then I went into the world and the world was like, no. <laughs> but I still had that from, like, I still had it instilled in me for such a long time that I think it enabled me to. And I, I totally agree, Nadia. Like, I, I think that part of, I think, what pushes me to do it is, like, I sort of thought to myself, you have this incessant need to have your voice heard, so you might as well do something good with it. <laughs> so, like, I think for me, it was that was definitely what pushed me forward because you're right. I was, I'm, I feel exactly the same. There's a lot of, even, even a lot of South Asian women who are on social media, no, absolutely no hate to them at all because they're doing amazing things as well. But it's palatable what they're doing. So you know, I think that's you know, like for just the first example that's come to my head is like beauty bloggers, for example. Um they're beautiful and they and they do great things for, for visual representation of like you know just have it just being seen in the beauty industry and stuff but again i think that is palatable because there's no that there's not necessarily a voice attached to it of being like interrogating these systems and calling things out and disrupting things and i think that's something that i like to do and again it, it it's something that I agree I, I don't I, I think there's not enough brown women doing it there's a lot of us with a lot of with voices and with things to say but we're held back by so many different things that it's very very difficult for all of us to just go actually yeah you know fuck it I want to say it in public because it's hard like you like I've had a lot of pushback I've had a lot of people telling me that I'm you know not doing the right thing and I'm and I'm causing problems I'm going to cause problems for myself for my family in the future and it's like I don't give a fuck enough about that to act on it. But at the end of the day, I've grown up very lucky that I've got my parents' support and, you know, been encouraged to, to have a voice, but that's not the reality for a lot of other South Asian women. Um, but I do want to shout out one person. Her name is Shira. And they are incredible. And they actually inspired me to be continue being loud every time I think to myself I'm being a bit too loud and stuff or I'm, or I'm you know I feel like I'm rocking the boat a bit too much I'll see one of her posts and then I'm like okay no, no I got this and I'm lucky enough to call her an internet friend and she's doing incredible things um just for for brown women women of color dark-skinned women everywhere so we love we love internet friends awesome so I wonder if we switch tracks a little bit and um you put this amazing post up fairly recently about your spiritual practice and how that's helped you with your journey to self-love and, and body acceptance and again we'd just love to hear you talk about that of course um this is something yeah this is something relatively um new that I think I I think it was a bit of a, like a mini epiphany I kind of had um but I actually there's this amazing organization called the rights collective and they do just incredible work just for the South Asian community diaspora in general um and they one of the things they do is they do like I think it's a I think it's a quarterly zine like I'm part of the team at SAS as well which is South Asians to speak and um we were lucky enough to guest edit one of their like fifth zine but the sixth one was a was called Brown Bodies and they were looking for submissions obviously just about brown bodies and stuff um and I, I did I pitched to them and I was lucky enough to be able to they they were platformed me for for this piece that I sort of wrote about um yeah my my spiritual practice and how it's actually helped me along on my self-love journey it was completely unexpected like I didn't ex I didn't expect it to happen I think only after reflecting on it I kind of clocked like oh actually you know what I, I do think it's had an effect and I think when I talk about spiritual practice I mean I'm I wouldn't class myself as like a religious person I'm definitely more of a 
spiritual person <laughs> I feel like everyone says that um but genuinely I am so I think I, I I think about a year ago I started meditating um more I started you know uh, doing yoga and stuff and I feel like it for me it was um partly I have to admit like at first I, I wanted to just find like an exercise that I didn't hate because I actually fucking hate mm-hmm. like cardio and like a lot of fitness stuff I just don't really like it um again very complicated um relationship with that obviously feeling very excluded being a fat woman I was like <laughs> it's not gonna work for me um but yeah I sort of wanted to find something that I enjoyed and I started doing, a, doing yoga and then um fell in love with it and then also sort of explored a bit more of like mindfulness and meditation and stuff and you know for me, it very much felt like stepping into my own power anyway, because that's what my ancestors have been obviously doing for thousands of years. Um, just all, uh, And obviously all these practices are rooted in Buddhism and Hinduism and Sikhism a little bit as well. So I started doing that through meditation and yoga, like a lot of the, you know, yoga, I think the me- that the meaning of yoga in Sanskrit is union of like body and mind. Mm. And it was something that I practiced, you know, I've practiced over the last year or so. And I really realized that I did, I was, I've been able to restore a mind body connection that I actually had severed ages ago. Cause you know, what I was talking about earlier, I went through a phase of just not even really seeing my body and it wasn't just seeing, I didn't really feel it either. Like I, I, I had, cause I, because of all the internalized in messaging of, you know, my body not being worthy and not being pretty and not being acceptable, for all the different on all those different sort of planes you know being hairy and being chubby and being darker and you know that sort of thing I think I had just sort of almost tried to disconnect my identity from my body and be like I can be just a person without you know this thing attached below my neck um and I think my spiritual practices they realigned me with it and I think it gave me this really beautiful bonus um like advantage of obviously doing it um because it was it's done wonders for like obviously mental health and like just my 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 spiritual health but then it's also made me really celebrate my my body again I think you know doing when I do yoga like seeing I never thought I could be strong or flexible because obviously we're told that if you have extra fat you can't be any of those things but I do I realize I'm like fuck I actually can do this like you know (laughs) I can balance in the air with one leg up. <laughs> like, you know, I, I I just never even envisioned that for myself. So um, I, I think, yeah, I just, just really, it really gave me a boost in terms of my self-love. And obviously also having to trust my body, like pushing pushing myself to, to, to do like, you know, different asanas, which is like yoga poses, like pushing myself to do those things and actually training and coming back each day to practice and get better a tiny, tiny bit each day. Like, it was, you know, now I really do see when people say like, oh, fitness is really good for your mental health because now I see it. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, because the physical side of yoga, it really did help. But even on the spiritual side, in terms of meditation, like when there's lots of different, obviously, ways you can meditate. But I think doing a lot of like body scans and like directing breath to different parts and stuff like, you know, I always thought I knew like how to breathe but I was like uh, I'm, I'm a singer as well so I always thought oh yeah like I'm you know I've got a really strong diaphragm because <laughs> I'm a singer and I had to perform um but even like I I, I realized how little I knew then because now doing a lot more breath control and stuff you you know you, you sort of realize the power that you have when your mind and body are connected and I think stepping back into that has been like it, it's really been like perspective changing for me in terms of self-love because I can now 
really appreciate my body and celebrate it in a way that I don't think I could before. I think before it was more sort of, I want to love myself because I want to love myself. But now I think with this, with my spiritual practice, I was able to get to a place where I'm like, I celebrate myself because I can do all these amazing things and I can, and I'm each day as I learn more and I practice more, you know, and I, and I feel that, that sort of, that power and that divine feminine energy, like that Shakti, like I, I feel it and it's incredible. That's so beautiful. Hearing you speak about that is stunning. And we usually ask a question, which is, you know, what do you do to feel good in your body? I feel like you've pretty much just answered <laughs> that for us. Um, but are there other things that you do to check back in with yourself? You know, you mentioned body scans, you mentioned yoga, and those are such powerful tools for, well, I mean, we have a whole knowledge noodle bit in one of our episodes on embodiment, but what are other things you do to check back in? Self-kindness, definitely. Just, be, just being kind to myself. Um, having a better relationship with food. I think, again, I think every chubby kid can relate to this of like starving yourself of certain foods and being like, I'm not going to eat any chocolate or sugar because I'm, I'm fat and stuff. But um, yeah, being a bit kinder to myself. I love food. Like food's a huge part of me, obviously being being brown, like especially like being Punjabi, like it's a, it's a big, big, <laughs> big, big part of our culture and family. So I've always loved food. And I think, and food does make me feel better. I will admit, I, I am a bit of a comfort eater. Um, but I try to, yeah, if I'm feeling a bit bad about myself, I, I, I kind of allow myself to, like, you know, I, I, I think, okay, be a bit kinder. You know, if I fancy that chocolate, I'm just going to have it. Also, a lot of mirror, like the mirror, mirror work um, is a big thing for me of just like, even when I feel bad about myself, force myself to look in the mirror and force myself to say one good thing or two good things um, to myself. Um, so I, I, I do that a lot, but I just practice looking at myself. Like I make a point of having mirrors around. So I am forced to look at myself and, you know, and then you catch yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, hello. <laughs> so I thought that's a nice <laughs> reminder as well um then just sort of a lot of self-care definitely of um you know and again people again people like to think this is the only thing self-care is I'm not saying that at all but like you know sometimes having a nice long bath putting cream on lying on the bed naked like it's great um and again being naked that's a big thing um again another thing I, I I didn't I didn't used to do it a whole lot but um I think doing that more now it's like just and just and just observing myself you know and and just trying to do it in like a non-critical way but I think it's when you're feeling bad or a bit shitty I do think it's hard to do that but I think definitely when I have the the energy for it I try to just direct that positive observant energy to sort of be like you know look at what you can do and stuff and and I guess in the gratitude for your body as well it's a big one um so yeah I I guess in general I'd say like self-care nakedness (laughs) nakedness <laughs> and a lot of yeah a big dose of self-kindness I think is, is a good one because the thing is a lot of it's phase it's a phase isn't it you know you, you you some days will be worse and on those days just give yourself a break and then when you know when you feel recharged and stuff ready to bombard yourself with affirmations then you do it <laughs> I think that's incredible advice and I think everybody should take a leaf out of your book that is uh exactly it kindness self-care all of that all of that yeah. good stuff what do you guys do oh what do we do oh we've, I don't you, think we've ever been asked <laughs> yeah sometimes I feel like I, I I feel like I don't want to just be talking the whole time like I want to I want to have a conversation with you guys I mean I do hot bath body lotion always it's I mean other things antidepressants but hot bath and body lotion <laughs> it's balance. all about the balance baby <laughs> 
Hannah, before you go, I would love to one hear one of your favorite affirmations and then we'd just love to hear where our listeners can find you, support you and support okay, your work. Wait, I have a little book where I write my affirmations, so let me let me let me get one so I can get you a juicy one. This is this is a good this is something I do if I feel a bit shitty as well actually. I come back to this because I write them down, I end up obviously having like a ongoing um collection of them. I think I've got one. Right. I've got two, actually. Yeah, I'm going to do two. So first one, a good one, is I deserve to feel at home in my body. And then another one is I am worth being present for. And I think that one, mm. I think, I think deserves a little bit of explaining. Um, I th- That one I use, um, like I said, like I talked about the sort of mindfulness and meditation stuff um, of sort of coming home to myself and coming back to my body um when I say that when I sort of not say but like you know read that one to myself it's just sort of a reminding myself that because I think a part of I do think part of the obviously it's very capitalistic of like constantly thinking about what's coming next or what you're doing or what you things you need to do so then coming back to the present I think it does speak to of like it is worth it because I'm here like it's worth being here because I am here and 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 I'm showing myself that self sort of love and appreciation um by practicing presence and enjoying my life or whatever I'm doing in that moment because I'm here my body is here and I deserve it yeah your presence yeah, is I, I really like that I'm worth being present for I love that Hannah thank you so much what a note to end on yeah thank you love speaking oh, with gosh, you thanks for having me I love this this has been sick uh, we've loved it too amazing tell us give us your um give us your handles your social media handles Instagram best place to find me it's at Hannah underscore speaks and Hannah is spelled H-E-N-N-A. And then the same thing on Twitter, Hannah underscore speaks. Um, I'm a lot more angry on Twitter if anyone's interested in that. Um, <laughs> and and then, yeah, I have a blog, which is also, um, it's just henna-speaks.com. So you can read my written stuff there. I loved that conversation so much. She makes me feel good inside now. I just adore her. She spoke a little bit about mirror work and I would love to dig into that a bit more. Could you tell me some of the core principles of mirror work? Can you just tell me a bit about it? So I think what would be a really good starting point is that most people who are struggling with negative body image have a complicated relationship with mirrors. And this often works in one of two ways. So some people will do anything they can to avoid looking in the mirror, while other people might overly obsess with their appearance in the mirror. So really focus in on aspects of their appearance that they don't like, uh, really scrutinizing their body, engaging in body checking behaviors. So that can be like pinching or squeezing parts of their body or like trying on set pieces of clothing to see if their weight's fluctuated, for example, and, and generally very harsh to themselves. So we, we have this kind of one or the other type relationship with a mirror. So overall, research shows that mirror work can be really helpful or mirror exposure can be really helpful for people who are struggling with negative body image. So mirror work or mirror exposure is based on principles from cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT. So cognitive behavioural therapy, as the name suggests, has a cognitive component which encourages people to recognise and identify negative thought patterns or thinking styles and then provides them with cognitive techniques to address them. So sometimes that's called cognitive restructuring. 
And it also includes a behavioural component, which can include things like exposure tasks, where people either face fears or challenge cognitive distortions. So when it comes to CBT for body image, it's part of the cognitive behavioural toolkit for, for body image. So there are a couple of different approaches to mirror work that researchers and clinicians tend to use. So as a couple of examples, there's mirror work that has a mindfulness framing. So this encourages people to describe their appearance in a neutral, non-judgmental way. And it's often accompanied with other mindfulness techniques that promote acceptance. So for example, it's when you notice thoughts and emotions when you're looking in the mirror, but you let them float on by or, or observe them as nothing more than thoughts or emotions. So you don't give any weight to those thoughts or emotions. So it's that idea of thoughts, not facts. And then another approach to mirror work is mirror work with a cognitive dissonance framing. So that's when we encourage people to engage in positive self-talk in front of the mirror. And the idea here is to create that aspect of dissonance between the negative thoughts and the positive statements. So People generally don't like when there's a disconnect between our thoughts and our actions. We tend to want our thoughts and actions to align. So if you're actively saying lots of nice things about yourself, it's harder to think negative thoughts. It kind of can cloud them out a little bit. So overall, mirror exposure can act as part of a cognitive retraining mechanism. And so kind of going back to when we've got those two kind of groups of people. So when people, you've got the people who are like mirror avoidant or people who are kind of obsessively focusing on aspects of their body that they don't like. For that second group, mirror exposure can potentially help people see their body in a more holistic way. So look at their whole body rather than focusing on aspects of their appearance that they don't like. So seeing their their whole selves and just like some ideas of things that you can say to yourself when you're looking in the mirror and if you if you do catch yourself focusing on a body part that you don't like for example is first of all is is catching yourself doing that being like oh wow I'm being really hateful towards my stomach my stomach's not the only part of my body let me take a minute let me look at my whole self so really noticing kind of what you're doing and noticing how you're being very critical about that one body part, kind of zooming out and looking at your whole body and also thinking about your body as, as just one part of who you are. So you're more than just your body. So kind of going back to some of those things that we talk about often, it's that reframing. And then the kind of encouragement about moving language to being more objective. If you're like looking in, in the mirror and just saying like negative things, it's not going to be helpful so you have to say positive things or at least non-judgmental things so if you can shift the language so it's more objective so again going back to your stomach if you're saying to yourself your stomach is disgusting obviously that's not going to be helpful but if you can't say something that's really positive about your stomach can you say something that's that's just objective and doesn't have that negative framing so can you say like my stomach is soft it's curved it's rounded like it is my stomach that's it that's all it it is so essentially that's what mirror work is it's generally found to be a really useful technique amongst others in terms of improving body image and we often see mirror work given as a homework activity and so in some of the interventions that I've worked on we give mirror work as a a homework activity and we ask young people to say three things that they like about what their body can do three things about their body that they like and then three things that they like about themselves more generally so qualities or or traits that they have that they are proud of or, or like so positive statements to themselves in the mirror 
mirror work is also sometimes used in clinical settings so for people with eating disorders or people with body dysmorphic disorder obviously when we're at a clinical threshold such activities might need the support of a therapist to work through because they might it might feel too difficult to do so as always it's kind of what feels good and right to you but the general idea of mirror work or mirror exposure work is to reframe our thoughts around our bodies so see ourselves as a bigger picture so not just the one body part or aspect of your body that you do not like and be able to speak to your body more kindly so reframe those negative thoughts that you have I mean, it's just important for people to know that you are able to disrupt thought patterns and you're not a passenger to your thoughts and you can change the narrative in your head. Like that is doable. It just it just takes work like anything. Thank you, Nadia, for sharing that delicious knowledge noodle with me. Thank you for listening to The Body Protest. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode and it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at honeykinney and you can follow Nadia at nadia.craddock. This podcast is produced and edited by the glorious Daisy Grant. And it's brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.